Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, and so grateful to share this story with you. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. We're so glad you've joined us. So good morning. What is the future looking like? Good morning. And my future looks really promising. Um, I, I'm so much happier than I was prior to the treatment. I am still a little bit fragile. I'm taking my day slowly. But, you know, before treatment, I was a very, you know, have to do everything, have to do it as soon as possible, on the go type of person. And then coming back to Australia and learning to recover or having the need to recover after treatment, I have to learn to just take time and be patient. And that's where I'm failing Mm. because I'm not very patient. Isn't (laughs) that such a practice? Oh, it really is. Having to really learn about how much your body needs to rest and saying no to things, whether that's cleaning the house and saying, I'll do that tomorrow or having to go get groceries. No, I'll do that tomorrow because my body is very tired. I've just, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. (laughs) Sure. So tell us a little bit more about, well, when you received HSCT and how you even came to find it as an option. Actually, I, I'm a big believer in faith and this came out of the blue. So When I was diagnosed, uh, I was in New South Wales in Australia and I was rushed into hospital because I had a, a, like a seizure. My body just gave up and just collapsed. And after I was there, yeah, it was really bad. And when I was there in hospital for two weeks, they discharged me and I returned home with my parents in Melbourne in Victoria, Australia. And I was there with them for... Um, a few months and my father actually got in contact with a friend of his and again it seems like people with MS are everywhere but unless you have it or you know someone who has it you don't actually know it exists right so yeah like I've never really gotten to know someone with MS until a friend of mine's sister had um, has MS and then all of a sudden it seems like a more of a common thing. So my father was talking to his friend who his friend had MS and he was telling, they were sharing stories about me and the other woman. And this other woman went to Moscow and did the HSC treatment mm. um, seven years ago, I think. And that's how we got to know about this treatment. And then my father and I, we went online and we did so much research and I just fell in love with it. I really did because here in Australia, we have the option of slowing down the progression of MS with different um, treatments. And I was on the Ocrevus treatment and I'm very stubborn. I don't, I don't believe in slowing down the progression when there is an option of halting it. Right. So I was like, I want to stop it. 
I want to go for it. I've only got one life. I want to give it all to this treatment. And I have big belief that this actually works because I spoke to the lady that my father's friend um, knows that did it. And I spoke to her over the phone and she says, if I had to do it again, she said to me, hands down, Sammy, I would do it. She says, if I had to do it and I'm going to go and see Dr. Frederinko and Anastasia and stay in that hospital, she says, I will do it straight away. When I did the treatment, I believe the exact same thing. I fell in love with that place. The atmosphere, the people were so kind mm. and the treatment wasn't bad. I think that my month there in Moscow was the happiest month I've ever been. Oh, wow. It was yeah, I was talking to my father and my partner, um, FaceTiming them, and they just couldn't believe how happy I was. It was just so peaceful. And um, yeah, the nurses were just so lovely. They were just so supportive. I really have no flaws with them at all whatsoever. Well, that's wonderful. And I wonder if part of your experience with the disease had you feeling down at all or depressed, like depression can come along with MS. Definitely. I When I was first diagnosed, I hit a wall. I was in a really, really dark place. And um, mostly because when I was diagnosed, my career was, I was a pilot. I was a flight instructor and um, a co-pilot in charter. And my life was flying planes. But as soon as I was diagnosed, I my neurologist didn't advise me to go back. And I said to myself, I don't think it's safe for me to return flying planes in case an episode or a relapse happened. Oh my gosh. So I had to walk away from my passion. And that was really difficult for me because I spent, you know, my family and I spent money on my license. I moved away from home to, to pursue this career. So Yeah, I was absolutely devastated and I was depressed and I was in Brisbane, Queensland on my own whilst my family were in Victoria and lockdown and COVID and it was just a domino effect. So it wasn't a good time for me at all whatsoever. No. So it sounds like you went through HSCT pretty quickly after you were diagnosed. When were you first diagnosed? I Diagnosed in May 12th, 2020. Oh, wow. So yeah. It was literally a year and one month later I did the treatment. And so you're only is, a few months post HSCT? Yes, at the moment I, yeah, three months post HSCT. Amazing. And so how are yeah. you feeling now? I'm feeling emotionally happy, mentally stable. Physically, I'm still a little bit weak, but it's again, only three months post. I do yoga every morning. Well, I want to do yoga every morning. I've been doing stretches every single day just to warm up my limbs and my joints because they're a little bit stiff. But other than that, I really have nothing horrible happening in my body like I used to. Wonderful. Um, yeah, tell us, have, tell us about that. Oh, I had really bad episodes before the treatment, like really, really bad. Probably once a week I would be feeling horrible. My body would just feel like it's being strangled, like that MS hug. Mm. I just couldn't move. Um, my bowels 
just decided not to work. My bladder had no control over itself. I was itchy all the time and I couldn't feel my my feet and my hands. It was just a nightmare and I couldn't sleep. I was just always wide awake and I just couldn't rest at all. I was just mm. irritable. I just Nothing was making me happy at all whatsoever. And so to finally experience happiness while you were there, surely the chemo helped knock down some of that inflammation. And did you I notice had, that, yeah. like a significant <laughs> difference? Definitely. I probably through chemo, I probably had two bad days through the four days of chemo. Um, it was just that hot, cold, hot, cold, feeling a bit sick, but nothing horrible. And then after everything happened, it was just whole weight lifted. I literally feel like a different person and my parents when they look at me when we FaceTime every day they say you know we've got the old Sammy back the person they knew Mm. years ago so they're they're absolutely happy and yeah god it just makes me teary up just thinking about the two different people the one that I am now and the person I was previously sure it's just amazing well how quickly it all changes Uh, And also, Dr. Federico is very correct. You need to have a positive attitude throughout the whole process because positivity and happiness does help with recovery. And, you know, me being around my partner and (laughs) my dog and lovely people all the time really helps the recovery process. And, you know, it's, it's all about just thinking good and feeling good and eating well and you know, that keeps me on track to a better life. Sure. So it sounds like you found HSCT so quickly after diagnosis, but that maybe the doctors recommended Ocrevus because it was such a unique case of MS or sounding like it was aggressive. Yeah. So I believed uh, I was in a really bad state and it took me years uh, like over a year really to try and get someone to notice me with doctors here and doctors just said no you just need some rest no you just need to um, take b12 tablets or iron tablets and I was doing all of this thinking this is all I need to do and it didn't help so you know I, I turned to other ways you know if I couldn't sleep I drank alcohol to try and relax me but that doesn't really do anything that kind of makes things worse and then so I was I was lost really I thought what's wrong with me the doctors said I was just I was just tired and nothing was wrong with me and here I am I can't walk in a straight line couldn't feel my legs I was itchy I thought I had lice and then um, yeah the episode happened and the doctors said straight away that I had that J virus yeah. that stems from yeah that that led me to take the Ocrevus treatment mm. so every six months I only did it twice and yeah I went to Moscow and I found out more information about my particular case because here my neurologist didn't really tell me much because she didn't believe in the classification of types of MS so oh. she didn't tell me anything about what I had and um yeah, I went to Moscow and Dr. Frederinko said, yes, I've got a um, severe like a severe case, um, PPMS. And he says, I'm very lucky that I did the treatment when I did it because 
you know, I, if without the treatment happening and I continued on Ofribus, I could have had, you know, six months of stable condition and then all of a sudden, bam, I could have ended up in a wheelchair or I couldn't move. It depends. Or, or it would have taken six years. That's the way he said it. We don't know. Mm. So he says, I was really lucky that I did the treatment when I did. I won't be getting any worse than I am now. So, you know, I, I really am so thankful. So thankful. Oh, my gosh. And so how long did you have your symptoms before the episode occurred where doctors finally paid attention that there was something serious going on? Oh, gosh, I think I was well and truly 18 months prior because I had little symptoms like um, my mouth was completely numb and I couldn't taste anything. My taste buds didn't work. I lost vision in my right eye. Um, I couldn't walk straight, like I said. And funny story, um, because I couldn't walk straight, uh, a police officer actually pulled me aside and asked oh, asked if I was okay and accused me of being intoxicated mm. in public. Yikes. <laughs> um, and I was like, no, I'm completely sober. But he thought I was because I couldn't walk straight. <laughs> Look, I look back now and it's hilarious, but I wasn't exactly very happy when he did it. Again, no. my mood swings are horrible. I was like, how dare you think that I'm intoxicated? Yeah. I bet you were mortified. I was, especially in a small town where everyone knows everyone's name. Oh. I don't want my name to be, you know, trashed about. So, yeah, and then I think this went on for 18 months, all these symptoms, and my legs would tremor. And I thought, oh, I must be cold. And I would put more clothing on. That didn't stop it. My wrists and my hands and fingers would tremor. Mm. And yeah, just there was no answers to these. So obviously you go to the doctors and the doctor's like, oh, we'll do a CT scan. See what th that shows. Nothing shows on a CT scan. So they're like, oh, you just need to take all these tablets and this will make you feel better. Mm. So that's what I did for 18 months. So I was lost. So I thought literally there was something wrong with me, but no one will ever listen to me. I'm so sorry. And then sorry. that unfortunate, no, it's, it's, look, you go back and things happen for a reason. And, uh, you know, I'm so thankful the day that I got the, the time that I got um, that bad episode where my body just froze. I was in New South Wales working and my parents came up to visit me because it was Mother's Day. And, um, yeah, again, I was very fortunate they were there because I went and saw my parents. They were in a Airbnb in a hotel room. And I said, I'm going to stay the night with you instead of going back to um, the place I was staying at. And that's when it happened. And I think to myself, what would have happened if my parents weren't there when I had the episode? I probably would have just, shaken it off, forced myself to get out of bed and tried to put on my work uniform and probably forced myself to go to work. Instead, my parents were there. They drove me to the hospital. The doctor there asked me to stand up straight to see how my balance was. There was no such thing as balance. I kept falling <laughs> backwards and yeah. frontwards. Um, and then from then on, I was yeah, admitted into hospital and you can hear the whispers going, oh, you know, MS, MS. And I was thinking, no, I can't have MS. This, no, this can't be happening to me. Mm. And then, yeah, it did. But 
I was, again, I'm a big believer in fate and I'm so thankful that my parents were there at that time because I have no idea if they weren't there, what could have happened. Right. I don't know how the hell I would have taken myself to the hospital. Probably not, right? No. Yeah. Especially as the go-getter. At least, I mean, I was the same way, right? I had a terrible flare and went numb from the waist yeah. down and tried to well, oh, no. I I went to teach all day and I fell down what? in the parking lot walking in but I was just convincing myself like this will this will get better it'll be fine I'll just push through and it did yes. not get better Oh gosh so good for so your parents you right pardon? Good for your parents for being there and for insisting to take you to the hospital Oh, definitely. I'm very, very grateful. And, you know, they're so much happier now because they're at peace within themselves, knowing that I'm safe. Whereas before, they were very anxious about everything I did, making, you know, when I was driving even. Because I remember when I was driving before the treatment, my entire right leg went numb and I couldn't control it. Mm. So with me driving, I had to kind of teach myself to drive with my left foot to try and get home as soon as possible. And thank God I was just around the corner, so I didn't have to drive far. But gosh, trying to brake with your opposite foot is not graceful. I cannot imagine. <laughs> but, but you made yeah, it, and that's good. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So why was it important for you to participate in the podcast? I would love to, well, you know, firstly, I, I listened to your previous podcast and hearing the stories is empowering. Mm. It's, you know, some of the people, not too long ago, I listened to a gentleman who is 10 years post. And he was doing tremendously. And this gives me hope, you know. So I'm thinking to myself, if there's anyone that is thinking about doing treatment and is scared about the repercussions or months afterwards, well, you know what? I'm here to say I'm three months post. Yes, there's days when I'm super tired. Yes, there's days where my body does feel lethargic. Um, and I do stretches to try and make sure that my body's still fluid instead of static. But I feel wholesome. I feel great within myself. There's no, there's not a battle within me anymore. There's my brain says do this, and oh my gosh, my body listens. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Oh yeah, it's. I'm just at peace now. I'm just peaceful. And you, everyone deserves that, right? That's it. You know, everyone deserves happiness. And if you've got the chance to redo your life, why don't you? Uh, you know, I just, I think, like, if you have the capabilities of treating yourself in a way to make your life better, then I, I'm definitely for it. And, you know, before this, yes, I was scared. Because you look at the HSCT um cons and the pros and cons list yeah there's things that could happen but I was thinking to myself do I want to be um an old woman or you know someone with grandkids and or and or kids where they have to take me to hospital every six months for the rest of their life or having to see them or see me 
end up in a wheelchair. I said to my partner, I did this because ultimately I want to be able to run around with our future children. Mm. I want to be able to do whatever they're doing and join in. I'm too scared to end up with a walking cane or in a wheelchair missing out on all these opportunities. So I took it and I went with it. Sure. You've got to be brave and just think positive about this life that you have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I wonder, you mentioned having family friends that had gone through HSCT. So was it relatively simple for you to get your family on board with pursuing the treatment? Oh my goodness, yes. Uh, my mom and dad, they wanted me to leave and do the treatment as soon as I was diagnosed. <laughs> they were all for it. But unfortunately, because of the traveling and the issue with the COVID and everything, it wasn't available at the time. And also I had to wait for Anastasia to, you know, send me all the documents and get my visa and all that stuff. So um, my parents were all on board. They said, yes, we want you to do it. We know that you're strong enough to do it. We know it's going to be difficult, but two months or a month of hardship in a hospital over a lifetime, how can you say no? Sure. So how long did it take then to get through all of the paperwork and between the time you decided oh, to go, even reach out to Anastasia and then schedule, like how long did well, all that take? Well, my father got in contact with Anastasia before I did. So he built a rapport with her quite earlier nice. on. So I think, yeah, it was really kind of him to do that. Um, he spoke to her, I believe, around October last year. And then he said, you know, he said to me, oh, you know, you better speak to Anastasia so you're fully informed. So I started emailing her and um, we built a report, which was a fantastic, very kind lady as well. And from October onwards, I got myself a folder. I started filing all of my medical documents and all my MRI scans. And then I went on to Google and I got to see what Australia's law was in leaving and returning. I printed all those documents mm. out. So I, you know, good thing I love filing and I love being organized. <laughs> so it was kind of a little bit fun for me, but I can imagine it would, it would be a little bit overwhelming for other people. Sure. But yeah, my advice is to anyone that wants to travel overseas and especially do this treatment, start early because you need to, you know, go get a visa and then having to sign all these documents. And if you're not sure what other countries are like, but in Australia, if you want to try and do something, especially over this period of time, you have to wait for approval. So asking in months in advance will give heaps of time space for them to get back to you instead of waiting last minute and they're not hearing back from the government will be a little bit, you know, touch and go with that. So, sure. so you were able to apply early. Yeah, and, and apply to your government and wait for their response before you got a date scheduled or were you able to? No, I got the date scheduled. I got everything scheduled for HSCT and my father and I were saying, we're going to keep applying. Don't care how many times they may reject us. We'll keep applying. Just as long as we have a date in Russia and we have that time, then we'll just keep doing whatever we have to do to be able to leave the country for the treatment. So 
Um, but leaving the country wasn't too difficult. We just had to get my neurologist to say, yes, this treatment is not available for Samantha in Australia. So that is the reason why she's leaving the country. Did your neurologist agree? Yeah, she did agree. She was a bit apprehensive at first. She wanted me to do a different treatment called Lemtrada, which is done in Australia. However, when I looked at the description of the treatment, I don't believe Lemtrada was good for me. I've heard that we've been successful for other patients and I'm so happy that it has been successful for other patients, but I just don't think that Lemtrada was suited for me and what I want in life. So I explained that to the neurologist and she was on board and um, yeah, she signed all the documents and she wrote a letter saying that she approves of me doing this. Then I had to get my GP to do the same thing and then a hematologist. All I needed different type of specialists to say that they approved me leaving for me to do this or else the government wouldn't allow me to leave the country. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. And what of course you, you probably had to pay out of pocket entirely. Of course. Yes. Do you think there's yes, any chance yes. of having any of your expenses reimbursed? No, no. So this can feel out of touch not. for some Australians, right? It would. I know um, another gentleman from Victoria, I believe, or Sydney, can't remember, uh, he did a GoFundMe page. So I'm not too sure if you're aware of the GoFundMe page. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he did one of those. Yeah. And it's just so sad to me that people, right, that we have to fundraise for healthcare. I know. It, it is. It's I, I I know that there's a lady who told me that she did the treatment here in Australia. And um, from what I was told by my neurologist, doing the HSE treatment here in Australia is difficult because you have to you have to be of a special circumstance where no other treatment that is available does you justice. And this is the last case scenario, mm. which I am confused about because mm-hmm. you have all these other treatments that slow a progression and then you have this treatment that halts it. So again, don't want to go into the politics behind the medical department, but this lady did it and she seems to be doing really well. So I'm happy for her, but I wasn't eligible to do their treatment here in Australia. So sure. Yeah. I'm so glad you connected with Anastasia and Moscow. And so how did it go? Tell us about your experience there. Oh, gosh, it was exciting. Um, Of course, leaving my parents and my partner at the airport was devastating. I was scared. I was in tears. I didn't know what to expect. And then as soon as I got onto the plane, I just started relaxing. It, It felt like I was actually going on a holiday. And that's what my father said to me. He goes, Think of this as a holiday where you're getting weighted on hand and foot. You don't need to worry right. about anything for once. Yes. Yeah, because up to that point, I was having to think about the next step. I had to organize everything for the treatment. I had to organize what I had to pack, what I had to be wary of. And, you know, even with the government and their policies to get 
back into the country. I had to think about all that stuff. But as soon as I came, got onto that airplane, I didn't have to think about a thing. I had wheelchair access, so I was getting pushed around everywhere. I didn't have to line up. I was relaxing in a chair for most of the time. I went in first class and business class because when I went through the flight agency who um, organized my visa and my flights, they said, you know, this is better for you. It's more relaxing, which it was. Um, And they organized a hotel room for me whilst I was in Dubai because I had a seven-hour layover. So I went into a hotel. I got a proper rest. I Mm. returned back to the airport. I landed in Moscow. Um, Anastasia organized someone to pick me up from the airport. I went into a one-day quarantine at the hospital just to do the process of elimination if I was clean. And then, boom, went into... Um, treatment mode and my room was nice I made it like a home I put my stuffed animals and my you know books and my knitting gear and just made it like home because I knew for a fact I was going to be there for a month so Mm. I might as well make it my own space it you know at the moment when I I look at my photos and my videos that I've taken and it doesn't seem like it actually happened because it happened so quickly Mm. I it doesn't seem like it's real, you know. It's hard to explain because my mother, she's a breast cancer survivor mm. and she did chemo for 18 months and she knows it happened because she lived it for such a long period of time. Sure. Whereas when I experienced this, it only happened in a month and it feels like it's just, you know, it, it didn't really happen. Because it's, it wasn't traumatic. It wasn't sad. I have got nothing bad to think about. So I don't know. Even the, the scars in my neck aren't big enough. I was hoping to have a, have a wicked scar <laughs> so I can say, look what I came home with. <laughs> but no, I don't even have a scar. <laughs> Amazing. So tell us, what was your most memorable experience while you were there? Oh, definitely walking around the hospital campus. That hospital campus is so beautiful. The garden's so pristine. There's beautiful flowers everywhere. And I went in summer, so it was beautiful temperature. And um, yeah, I probably would have walked three times a day up until I wasn't allowed to and had to be in isolation. But Mm. I just enjoyed being in Moscow. I didn't really experience the Moscow environment because you don't I don't really see past the fence so I'm not too sure if I can say that I experienced Moscow to its best but I'm definitely returning next year though I'm returning next year to book an appointment with Dr. Federico to do my one-year post and he can do a full checkup and then I'll go and experience Moscow properly with my partner there you go and celebrate yeah But other than that, other than experiencing the outside and the beautiful campus, I think the best memory will have to be Dr. Federinko coming into my room and telling me that July 5th is the day that is my new life. And I think I just burst into tears out of pure happiness Mm. because he said to me that he did what the treatment said it was going to do, and that was to halt my MS. Wonderful. 
And so did you have any complications while you were inpatient or did everything go smoothly for you? Um, I think I had one day where I had to get a platelets infusion because something was a bit low. But other than that, no other complications, um, no issues. Yeah, I had the usual hot flushes and cold flushes. Those were all normal, um, but that's about it. No issues at all whatsoever from my side of things. That's fantastic. Definitely sweated at night, like soaked the bed yes. with sweat. Um, what was your most um, memorable time? Um, I think it was the dream I had after I got my stem cells back. So I slept. Oh, really? You still remember it? Yeah. Well, I remember parts of the dream, but I remember sleeping finally and actually resting for the first time in days because the protocol we had, we got a lot of steroids alongside the chemo. And so... How good does that go, though? How good are steroids? (laughs) Oh, well, they're terrible if you want to sleep. Really? So I just... Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, so I really didn't rest at all for the five days that we had the chemo. Some of it was 12 hours a day. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so then after I got my stem cells back, I took a nap for like three hours, and the dream was just the most vivid, lush. It felt like I was on a tour of my body with my stem cells, and I was introducing them to all of the amazing people that I love so much in my life and all of, like, my great memories (laughs) and... This this soul is such an exciting place to be and welcome to this body and you're going to do great here and it was it was amazing. When did you do your treatment? It'll be oh gosh, 4 years tomorrow is my stem cell birthday. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Happy early birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's amazing. Well actually you're already oh, there. You're there on the 18th, so Oh, yes. Well, from here in the future, happy (laughs) stem cell birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How are you feeling? Amazing. And yeah, I would do it all over again without even missing a beat if I had to. It really was just, it was a divine experience, even despite the nausea and chemo and, you know, of course that's part of it. But the whole point is to halt the progression, like you keep saying. And I believe my progression has been halted and there's so much I can do now that I could not do before, even though that's not part of it, right? Like that's not part of what you go into it expecting or or shouldn't. But to know that it's, it's stopped from getting worse is tremendous. Oh, you're making me teary, just so happy hearing that. That's amazing. <laughs> it truly is such a transformational experience. Like you said, you you went into the hospital one person and you, you're coming out another. And that's hard for people to even fathom if they haven't been through it. But that's it. It's it's from my experience, it was very difficult to describe what I was going through before treatment to someone who doesn't know what MS feels like. Yeah. Trying to explain the symptoms to them. And then obviously, I'm not too sure everyone has seen these memes, but the memes that you see on Instagram or Facebook where someone with MS says, oh, you know, I I can't sleep. I feel really fatigued. And then you've got someone who doesn't have MS says, oh, yes, I feel the same way. It's, It's that type of 
conversation and then to yourself you're saying no you do not know what it feels like no and then trying to explain the transformation as you as you said again is a different ball game because you're trying to explain to them that you finally feel like yourself you finally feel back to who you were before you got diagnosed and before the world flipped upside down you kind of feel in a way normal yeah, it's so hard to define normal anymore. Yeah, God says no such thing as normal. Who wants to be borderline normal anyway? You <laughs> be yourself. Right, exactly. Exactly. No. What about tough decisions? Like, was it hard for you to get on that plane? I mean, you said that once you were on the plane, you felt at ease. But was there any tough decisions leading up to that, that um, you started to doubt the decision to go? Um, doubting, I never doubted the treatment itself. I was more doubting my strength. Um, again, I turned to my mom a lot, asking her about the chemo and how she felt and how she fought through it. Um, and she said, you know, when you lose your taste buds, just keep eating because you need the strength. Um, sleep as much as you can, just rest your body. And if you feel sick, tell them straight away that you feel sick, they'll give you medicine. So she says that she did it. She took her time with it. And even though it was over 18 months, then it's different for us because they bombarded us with chemo over four days. And a lot of it, it was, it's different, but that's the one thing I was a little bit anxious about was the chemo. And Again, this is different for everyone, but losing my hair was a huge thing. And saying it to my friends who are male, they say, oh, but it's just hair. It will grow back. And I said, oh, you know, maybe being female is different because it makes me feel beautiful to have long hair and it makes me feel beautiful to have, you know, makeup on and, you know, makes me feel feminine. Being in hospital, there was one day where I felt really self-conscious about how I looked because I started losing my hair. I saw it everywhere on the floor. I Mm. was very, very inflamed and chubby because the amount of fluid they put into us. Yes, yes. Gosh, I looked like the Michelin man. I just looked so puffy. (laughs) I'm sure you did (laughs) not um, at all, but yeah, it feels that way. feel yeah and then I just felt so in my eyes I just felt so disgusting and obviously throughout isolation you couldn't put anything on your face and you couldn't make yourself look pretty because you had to wear their pajamas so oh wow you couldn't even bring your own clothes no because in isolation you had to wear their pajamas which Dr. Federico um actually gave me their catheter as a memento. So I've got the catheter they put into <laughs> your neck as a, <laughs> a little memento. And I had all the nurses find my PJs as well. Nice. So I have the hospital PJs with their signatures. But that's the one thing. I just felt that I couldn't feel beautiful because, you know, being bold, I was really scared about it. I was like, oh, gosh, what happens if I have a weird-looking head? <laughs> And so then how did it feel once you got accustomed to it? It took me probably a month to get used to it. 
I was knitting so many beanies when I was over there. I was knitting all the time, trying to knit different styles of beanies so I had something to wear when I came back to Australia. Mm. And I was a bit self-conscious going out in public with a bald head because I didn't want people to stare at me knowing that I've been through treatment of, of some sort. I didn't want to you know, have people just stare at me or look at me differently. Uh, They do. Um, They definitely do. They definitely do. I definitely notice and feel the eyeballs on my head because they're they're probably thinking that's a bad haircut or she's been through something. And then, yeah, I was was a bit self-conscious going out and leaving my house. And um, also I've been... You know, I've had people think of accidentally say, you know, guy, that I'm a boy because of you can't really see the face with the mask on. Right. So, yeah, but that's all right. After a while, I got used to it and I said, you know what, I don't care what these people think. I'll never see them again. So who cares? Yeah, which is another like, it's just part of the journey, right? That. You have to find your own way through. How did you get used to that period of time? It was not easy either. And I remember realizing once I was in the hospital, like I shaved my head pretty short, but there was still stubble. And then once the chemo started making it all fall out and it was all in my pillow and then sticking in my face and poking me and the head at night and you know or like I would wear a soft knitted cap but it would like all the little teeny hairs would be stuck inside there just stabbing me so yeah I keep telling people just shave your head like bick it before you go because it makes it so much more comfortable even though of course it's traumatizing like it's oh I really didn't want to lose my hair either but you know, my friends were super about it. You know, you're rocking that style and you should do this more often. And I'm like, mm, maybe just for chemo. Uh, well, I can definitely vouch for you that you look great. <laughs> so You're kind. Sure, you look amazing no. too. And it's it's that like being out in public and then people coming to their own whatever. If it's curiosity mm. or judgment or concern, I don't know. But like between the looks and the judgment that you can see on people's faces to the people just assuming like what kind of cancer did yeah. you have mm, I didn't yes, have cancer that's the thing they jump straight away to cancer which I don't blame them it's like oh you know oh when you went through chemo didn't you I said yes I did he goes oh what cancer did you have I'm like oh look I'm very fortunate saying that I didn't get cancer I actually chose to do this. And then, then all of a sudden, like, why would you? And <laughs> right. All this other... right. That's a whole nother conversation. Just like, oh, gosh, I don't have the hours to explain. I agree with you that shaving your head before treatment is a must because my best friend did it with me. We, uh, She shaved my head first, number three or number four. And she, I shaved her head, so we were twinning. So so she said, I don't want you to feel like you're alone in this. I support you. I want to do it with you. And my friend Shannon's got the most beautiful, long, blondish hair, dark blonde hair. Then she just got rid of it. It was super thick and half the bottom of it was purple. And I was like, 
don't do this. And she's like, no, I want to do it with you. That's quite it the was very emotional time. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Oh, gosh, I'll, there was tears. And the tears came from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, but beautiful. You were supported through that. Yeah. What other advice might you offer to anyone who, um, especially in Australia, to help others consider well, HSCT? I'm a big advocate for this treatment. I really am. And I understand that people are scared of the treatment, especially, you know, there's bad connotations going to Russia. I know because I've had people say to me, well, why Moscow? Why Russia? Sure. Isn't that a bit, you know? And I was like, no, actually, you know, despite the fact people say that they're, they've got this idea of Russians being hard people, the people I met over there were the most soft and kind people, you know, and um, they definitely aren't scary. The procedure, yes, it's confronting, especially when they bring in that huge machine into your room and it makes those clicking noises. Yes, it's, it's different, but... You know, I just don't think anyone should be overly concerned. I know they can be worried, especially with the chemo side of things and the stem cell transplant back in. But I just say to them, like you would have experienced that ketchup taste in your mouth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, just saying, just tasting it all the time. And it's it's done within five minutes anyway, so it's quick and... Other than that, returning, I know I've had some people asking me with their like asking me post treatment because they were concerned about how safe they have to be, especially during this period of time. Sure. And I said to them, in the first two months, I was very careful. I didn't really leave the house often. I only left the house to get food, and if I had to get food, I wore a mask. I didn't go into any place that was overly crowded. I kept myself active by always walking around and sleeping a lot. So it's true. I had to treat myself like a baby. I ate baby food for a little bit because I couldn't eat anything too salty, anything too spicy. So, and yeah, just be careful. Just Make sure you're clean, your clothes are clean, don't go into crowded places. But that's basically what the world is at the moment anyway right. with COVID. Yeah, for sure. So, how long was your flight home and how how did that go for you? Oh, um, well, so left 6 p.m. Moscow time. It would have taken me a day and a half to get home. Yeah, a day and a half to get home because I went from Moscow to Dubai, Dubai to Brisbane. And um, it was really good. I thought I had to um, wear a nappy just in case. So I wore my adult diapers underneath my pants just in case I had to pee and I couldn't move. So did that, but I didn't need to use it. So that was a good thing. Yeah. Um but that's a yeah, really good idea. Was, yeah, because you, you don't know, because especially on the plane, you don't know when you're about to burst and you, you know, you might need to be forced to stay in your seat or if the cubicles are busy and you can't hold it in, at least you've got a diaper. So that's a good advice for anyone who's going. Bring your own diapers just in case, just in case. Yeah, you the never know. The hospital has some. So you never know if you need to use it. And they're very comfortable. 
I didn't even get nappy rash or anything. Nice. But yeah, other than that, really treat it like a holiday. And also don't bring so many clothes. I brought a suitcase full of clothes, right? I, I thought I'll bring something that I can use to layer up in case I get freezing cold in the hospital because here in Australia, the hospitals are very cold. So I thought, okay, rush is going to be the same. So I brought 22 kilos of clothes with me mm-hmm. and I hardly used any of it. I probably used three or four items because they do laundry twice a week. So I didn't have to use the whole suitcase. Nice. So, yeah, don't bring too many clothes. So That's also good advice. Well, when you're traveling so mm-hmm. far, you want the comforts of home. That's it. That's it. My friends actually comfort from home. Shannon, my best friend and my partner, Stuart, they wrote on pillowcases um just little things to remember of them whilst i was in the hospital because they said oh you know we'll write on pillowcases so then you could put it on the pillow and we'll spray it with our perfume and our cologne so you have it with you and you can sniff it um so they gave me that that. but the pillow (laughs) yeah the pillowcases were a bit small though because the pillows in russia were huge but i still had those pillowcases and You know, I brought my partner's jumper and his cologne. I brought my father's cologne, so I had it with me as well. I've got pictures of people that I love, so then I can put them on the walls. I just made it as homely as possible. That's beautiful. I can Mm. just picture a beautiful Mm. room. Very cozy. Oh, you have to. You've got to. Yeah, gosh, I miss it talking about it now. (laughs) (laughs) So what about a superpower that you gained from your experience with HRCT? Hmm, superpower. I, I, this is going to be strange, but before treatment, I couldn't eat much. And I was a vegetarian at the time um, because I wanted to eat this healthy life and my throat wasn't really working that well because I couldn't really swallow much. So Mm. I probably could only eat so much. But now, oh my goodness, I eat like no tomorrow. (laughs) I eat so much meat. I eat so much food. (laughs) Like last night, my partner gave me a steak sandwich with everything in it and chips and gosh I downed it I just swallowed the whole thing I was like (laughs) yes I because I've got my taste buds back I can taste things now Mm. so all these foods that I was missing out on that taste delicious I was like this is incredible (laughs) that's amazing and you know oh gosh I'm so excited about eating when I was in Moscow the three, four times a day, I was always looking forward to food. You know, you had your two breakfasts, you had your lunch and your dinner. And every single time I spoke to my dad, I was like, dad, I got to do it. I have to go. Food is coming. And I just <laughs> hang up on him <laughs> because I was so excited about what food they were going to bring me. And so was it good food so, yeah. that you enjoyed? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I didn't realize on how you meant to eat it until the last week, maybe, or the last two weeks, because... They bring you out a bowl of liquid, for example, and then a plate of bland food. And I thought, oh, okay, you eat that separately. But no, you're meant to put it all into the bowl of soup and mix it around and it turns into like a stew. And mm. that's when I was like, oh, gosh, this tastes amazing. But it didn't <laughs> click until the last two weeks I was there. And I was like, I was missing out. But 
And now yeah. you know for when you go back. That's it. And when I came home, I said to my mom, I'm going to cook Russian stew. So I came home and I cooked myself the exact same thing they made me because I missed it. Amazing. <laughs> and that's... What do you miss most about that area? Oh, that's a good question. Um, It's hard to say, really, because, I mean, we can visit there. It's only five hours away, but... Probably the Five people. Hours? Yeah, I know. And uh, we're spoiled in that regard. I mean, the, the clinic where I, I went through it is not open anymore. But I can't imagine traveling oh, for a day and a half. That must have been exhausting. No, uh, but you sleep for most of it anyway. Sure. But you're so tired after the treatment. You just want to rest, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. I think the yeah. thing I, I miss the most is just the people. It was someone different on every shift. I think I saw the same nurse three times in 15 days. Yeah. So it was someone new every 12 hours. And I had, I had the opposite. I saw the same people every day and (laughs) I built a loving family type relationship with them. Mm, Beautiful. Yeah. Mine was a teaching hospital. So there were a lot of nurses like learning the transplant ward, right? And that is amazing. Yeah. And then the PCTs that would come in and take your weight and your vitals and the cleaning staff were the same mostly each day. But so I'd build a rapport with them. But yeah, I think I saw one nurse three times and one more twice. But other than that, it was someone new and different every time. So then I was always telling my story. And I think maybe that was part of the motivation, right, or inspiration to start the podcast, just getting to know people and talking and and sharing my story, I thought, well, I want to know other people's stories. And I think that's amazing because what you're doing is, I'm not too sure about others, but for me, it really did help me, make me feel motivated, especially when I was in Russia and hearing different people's stories and how they overcame issues or what they were scared about. And then when I heard what their concerns were and heard what they were scared about made me feel not alone. Mm. I was like, oh, okay, good. I'm scared as well. So yes, I'm not, I'm not by myself in this. Yes. That's so wonderful. I'm so glad it was a good resource for you. No, thank you so much. You have no idea. It's, it's, actually really it's really soothing well and thank you for sharing your story because surely it will soothe someone else especially another australian who's contemplating such a long journey well you know what i would say that any australian whatever age they are this you know is like mini holiday it's true it's so relaxing and you know i just can't fault it because it just felt like a home away from home in a way and it might sound cheesy but I can't put it in any other way because the relationships that I made with those nurses and the doctors were incredible like they gave me hugs and they sat with me and they just were so nice and I got two addresses from one of the nurses who I built the most relationship with and I'm, we're being pen pals, so I'm going to send them Australian things and say thank you so much for doing this for me and supporting me. And yeah, that's beautiful when they are there with you every day. It's such an opportunity oh, to build a relationship and and make connection in a, at a different level. 
Yeah, and that's that's different from what I experience here in Australia is that these nurses, these men and women, they need to have that personality to be able to accomplish that type of relationship. They need to have that rapport with patients and not everyone can do that. Mm. Um, I've never really experienced that here in Australia because, yeah, it's completely different. So I was amazed. Beautiful. So is there anything that you're grateful for about your experience with HSCT that has maybe gone unspoken? All I have to say is I'm grateful for Dr. Federico for taking on my case and being so kind Mm. and so supportive. Anastasia went out and beyond to be constantly emailing me back. And um, when I saw her, she was so loving. She was there. She was attentive. She was, is there anything I can do for you, lovely? Is there anything that can make you your time here easier? She was onto it. She gave me treats because I asked her, I really want to experience Moscow treats. So mm. she came back and gave me everything that she could possibly think of, that the nurses were kind, even the cleaning lady. Oh, gosh. When I had to put in the stem cells and said you can't move for X amount of hours you just have to stay in bed and I wet the bed so many times I was even wearing a diaper and I just couldn't hold it in and I just said to the cleaning lady I'm so sorry I was using my phone as a translator and just apologizing to her she's like it's okay it's okay she would just hold my face it's like it's okay it's okay and I just it's so embarrassing because I wet the bed so much it just went onto the floor and I was like, I'm so sorry. Um, There's so nothing so you can do. For their patience. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, gosh, I, again, I, fate just brought me to them and I just can't be any more thankful for everyone that took, took my case on. And even the flight agent that took, took control of my flight to, to Moscow and back, making sure I had a wheelchair access and making sure everything was on point and organizing my visa. I'm so grateful for her and um, my family and all my friends keeping in contact with me when I was overseas. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's just amazing. It's beautiful. It's an inspiring story to hear how wonderful everything went for you in such a faraway land. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing your story and sharing more about your experience with Dr. Federenko and Anastasia and the whole crew at the Maximov Hospital. I've heard amazing things and spoken with Dr. Federenko, and he is truly amazing. And I'm ever grateful that he continues his research and publications and trying to get the word out. Yes that this is yes. something that more patients deserve access to, or at least to learn about, right? Yes, that's it. Keep moving forward. That's always what I say. Keep moving forward. And I want this treatment to keep moving forward, getting in touch with everyone and having an option for people to choose from going, you know, they don't have to choose this, but here's an option available to you. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy, but... Yeah, and you can definitely advocate it. You just, you sound amazing. Um, Are you happy? Oh, so happy. So happy 
for sure. Yeah. So I hope you continue to be happy and enjoying this newfound transformed Samantha. Yes. Yes. I am so, I'm so ready for this. I'm so ready for this new life. I'm so ready to move forward and just, yeah, finally being me. I just feel so good. (laughs) That's so wonderful. So maybe we'll check in with you in a couple years or celebrate your four year stem cell birthday with, oh with it you. sounds like a date yes please. i love it so we'll stay in touch and you continue on the path of wellness and health and all things good in the future to come thank you so much for taking the time and interviewing me god bless you and gosh tomorrow i hope you will celebrate your four years to the best of your ability. I'm so happy for you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Samantha. You take such good care. You too. Be sure to visit hsctwarriorspodcast.org where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Alitzhauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. It has been amazing to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us on Instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well. Jen Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician and take good care.